Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about a number of things today, and I actually am not sure what they all will be. <laughs> I've had a number of ideas uh, this week of things that I would like to talk to you about, and uh, things that you probably need to be talked to about, <laughs> because the world's kind of a mess. And people are confused, and people are struggling to figure out what is really going on, what is really happening in the world today and what are the solutions to some of those problems and one of the major problems is the number of things that people believe that they think are true that just ain't so which is a paraphrase of uh, something that uh, Mark Twain said which is a paraphrase of something that someone else once said to him <laughs> and uh has now come down to us and I'm telling you that there's a lot of things that you believe that just ain't so and you have to be humble enough to take a look at what you believe from time to time and make sure that what you believe is accurate I used to believe a lot of things because I was told them I used to believe in Santa Claus but I uh, discovered that my parents were liars <laughs> they were lying to me and uh, but I got over it hopefully and uh, moved on and uh, there's a lot of things that you've been told that just ain't so and you've come to believe them and in this world of confusion and uh, uh, striving we often cling to certain ideas and truths or things that we believe to be truths just to prevent our own emotional and intellectual drowning and sometimes we cling to them because of pride and those are the things that are hardest to get out of our hands because you know pride is something that uh, binds us up and locks us in a prison of our own thinking we have to be willing to look at all things anew we have to be willing to study to show ourselves approved uh, recently uh, someone had posted uh, in um, uh, Facebook uh, log uh, the quote from Timothy concerning uh, study to study to show thyself approved uh, and uh, I pointed out that that word study in 2 Timothy 2.15 is uh, not really the word for study in the Greek language and I just pointed it out and uh, shared it with him uh, that it actually normally is translated things like endeavor or do diligence or be diligent or give diligence and uh, uh, it's defined in uh, you know like theirs to hasten to make haste to exert oneself endeavor give diligence but in one place in the Bible, it appears at least uh, almost a dozen times in the Bible, in the New Testament. In one place, they translated study. 
And it's in Timothy, and it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, you, you go up to that word workman, and how is that normally translated? Well, it's normally translated laborer ten times, workman three times, and worker three times. Pretty consistent. Laborer and workman, they're, they're very similar terms. Uh, one who does work, um, that's, uh, you know, and it's actually from a Greek word that uh, is defined as work. Uh, the word workman, we see, is a noun, but it comes from the Greek uh, word uh, ergon, which uh, is also a noun, but it's actually specifically work itself. And... Uh, it's kind of an obsolete form of uh, Greek word. It means business, employment, uh, that sort of thing. It's translated work 152 times, very consistent. Deed, it's translated 22 times. Doing once, labor once. But those are pretty consistent. A lot of words are translated many different ways. Sometimes quite a bit different. And in the case of Second Timothy, when they take a word that is normally translated and defined as being diligent and doing something, working, uh, and and combine it with a word like workman in a sentence, you would think that they would continue to say, to be diligent, to show thyself approved. Uh, a workman that needeth not be ashamed of what he is doing or not doing. Uh, rightly dividing and uh, the word dividing there is only appearing once in the Bible. It's actually composed of two different words. But it's rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, it doesn't say the Bible. It says the word of truth. Uh, that, that means any truth. Uh, the truths that are in the Bible, the truths that are in life, the truths that are in our hearts, and the truths of reality around us. We have to rightly discern that truth. It goes on to say, But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And that's exactly what's happened. A great deal of the theologies and doctrines of men. You know, I've talked before that I've, I've studied the doctrines of so many churches. And I actually find a number of churches that barely mentions the doctrines of Christ. They, they like to mention Paul, but they almost always take Paul out of the context of Christ. And they even take Paul out of the context of Paul. They, you know, Paul makes a, a big point out of keeping the commandments and not coveting and things like that. And then you have to understand what Paul is doing. He's fulfilling the gospel of Christ. And what was Christ saying? Strive. Seek. Uh, if you want to, you know, like people say, how do you, what do you do to be saved? Well, all you have to do is believe. But they don't define what that means to believe. What does it look like to believe? You know, well, I just believe in Jesus. But what does that look like? What, how do you distinguish from this person who says they believe in Jesus and that person? By what he does. The fruits of what he does. If he's not doing what Jesus said, he doesn't really believe in Jesus. And that's the problem with modern Christianity today is most of the people who say they're believed in Jesus and, and they're saved 
aren't doing what Christ said. They're not even close a lot of times to what Christ says. And their policies are in opposition to the policies of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Paul was not. Paul was out there doing what Christ said. Helping others doing. Organizing people into congregations with elders. being Elders being the members of the congregation and ministers to do what Christ said, to love one another, to take care of one another in what James calls pure religion, to be the social benefactors of their religious Christian society without exercising authority. That's why Paul says, according to the perfect law of liberty, and talks about charity being the most important thing, because that's how they functioned as the kingdom of God, which they were... They were they were the kingdom of God. Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem and wait. He said, no one can give you the exact date. He says, go back to Jerusalem and wait. They went back to Jerusalem and ten days later, the Holy Spirit gave them the power to go out and preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is another king, one Jesus. What they did not do anymore, the Christians did not do, is they did not go down to the temples of Rome and register the births of their children at the temple of Saturn, which was their Bureau of Vital Statistics. That's what the temple was. It was the government building, paid for by tax dollars and some donations, of the Romans to register the births of children so that they would know when they were eligible to obtain benefits from the men who called themselves benefactors, but exercised authority one over the other, which Jesus said you were not to be like. That he amongst you, you weren't supposed to be like the governments of the Gentiles, he amongst you, who is to be greater in the hierarchy of the church, was to be a servant to you so you did not have to go to the hierarchy of Rome and register the birth of your children so that they would become slaves for the next thousand years, which is the way you have been going. When you register that child, you are making that child collateral for debt. It's a three-part plan. It doesn't end with birth registration. It has to go on. You have to also get him a social security number. And then he has to, when he gets of age, start using it. If you do all three of those things under Roman civil law, you now belong to the state. And the state is your patronus, your father. And Jesus said, call no man on earth father. Now, many of you who have listened to me before have heard all this before. And I don't need to tell you again. Except I do, because you're still doing it. You're still doing contrary to what Jesus said. He said, call no man on earth father. He didn't say, call no man on earth, F-A-T-H-E-R. He said, call no man on earth, Patronus, Patri. Patri. All the senators of Rome were called Patri. That would be like saying, call no man on earth, Senator. Call no man on earth, Congressman. My Congressman. Call no man on earth daddy. No man on earth be your sugar daddy who's going to take care of you by exercising authority over your neighbor and taking away from your neighbor so that you may be socially secure. Now, everybody's talking about gun control in the news. What is your daddy doing? Your daddy's going to take away your guns. 
Because you've been naughty babies, naughty children of the, your daddy. And can he do that legally? Well, there's probably some regulations he has to be careful of. Congress is, you know, flexing its muscles a little bit. But they're just your daddies, too. You don't have the right to bear arms you used to have. Go read our articles on newsviews.com. Does a Christian have a right to self-defense? There's some of that right still exists, but you you don't have the rights you used to have because you haven't been accepting the responsibilities you used to have. And rights and responsibilities are co-relative. So if Daddy has to take care of you, then Daddy gets to say, fasten your safety belt. Turn in your gun. Uh, put your children in my school. Take this vaccination. Daddy gets to tell you that because Daddy takes care of you. He provides you with safety. You eat at his table. Remember that old thing you'd see in, in movies? If you're going to eat at this table, boy, you're going to do things. You're going to be in by such and such a time. You're going to do things the way I say. This is my table and you're, you have to obey me. As long as you're going to eat here. Well, you're going to keep eating there? Well, then you still have to obey Daddy. And if you really thought Timothy was saying study to show thyself approved, you'd be willing to study that out and find out, oh my gosh, Christians weren't doing what we're doing today. They were doing something else because they actually believed Jesus when he told them what they must do to be saved. You know, the first thing somebody comes back and says, well, what do you believe we must do to be saved? And, of course, they're trite, uh, narrow, uh, almost childish answer is believe in Jesus. Which is true, but it's undefined in that statement. What does believing in Jesus look like? Do we consider being saved the same as having eternal life? The eternal life promised by Christ? Do we consider those to be the same thing? What did Jesus say you had to do in order to obtain eternal life? He said, keep the commandments. Now, are, do you have to keep them perfectly? No, he'll, he'll forgive you if you don't. But you have to do it by policy. It has to be your intent to keep the commandments. You have to be striving at it. That's why he says, they wanted to know, are many saved or few? And what did he answer? Oh, just believe? No, he said, strive. As many will try, and they will not make it. Nobody said anything about doing it perfectly. He said to strive, seek. Seek his righteousness. It's not righteous to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare at the point of a gun. That's living by the sword. Something I repeat over and over again. Christ repeated over and over again. Even Paul says not to covet. Paul tells you that what should have been for your welfare has become a snare. He told you all these things. And it's nothing new. It's the same thing we see in the Old Testament. If the word study to show thyself approved really means uh, to endeavor, to be diligent, what else do we see in the Bible that talks about diligence? 
where do they talk about being diligent in the Bible? Do you know? Can you imagine? Well, let's let's take a look. Let's see if I can find it real quick. It's down in Proverbs. There's a number of places where it talks about being slothful and being diligent. It says, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Now, what's tribute? Tribute is a tax imposed by a ruler on his subjects where they compel a uh, payment on a regular basis into the authority of the government, into the treasury of the government. And Jesus had some opinions on the treasury, you know, putting money in the treasury where thieves and robbers could break in and moths can eat it up and rust and etc., etc. Some people say that it was not a, a, a civil but a religious tax that uh, when they're talking about these different uh, uh, tributes. But the fact is, is religion, according to James, is taking care of the needy of your society. So the reality is, is that Social Security tax is a religious tax. And it, it was the implementation of Social Security and your application for a federal identification number called Social Security number. That's your federal employee identification number. Made you a federal employee. Where now you work for Daddy. You got to work for Daddy and Daddy will take care of you. He will take care of you with Social Security. He will take care of you with other welfare and, and uh, benefits that he offers you. And he is able to do that because he is a great benefactor. But he is also able to do that because as a benefactor who exercises authority, he can force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And you're okay with that. As a matter of fact, there's this great surge in America today, and there has been in other countries as well. England tried it. To tax the rich. They covet what is the riches, and they want to force the rich to take care of them. That's called coveting. And Jesus said that you were not to be coveting thy neighbor's goods, even if he is rich. Or you're not going to get eternal life. You're not going to be saved. And Paul says the same thing. Paul warns you about this coveting. This whole coveting bit. He tells you not to covet. So why did Paul tell you not to covet? Because it's in the Ten Commandments. And you say, oh, well, no, Paul's done away with the law. Or uh, Christ did away with the law. Paul told us. Uh, but that's not what he's saying. He, he says clearly in Romans thirteen nine, Thou shalt not covet. And he says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. And thou shalt not steal. And thou shalt not kill. And thou shalt not commit adultery. He tells you this. In, in Romans 7, 7, he tells you, Thou shalt not covet. But if you want to tax the rich, or anybody, tax your neighbor in any way, shape, or form, 
you're violating the Ten Commandments. You're violating the doctrines of Paul. And you don't really believe in the salvation of Christ. Because you don't want to keep the commandments. And because you are not diligent, as Timothy tells you to be in, in, in that quote of Timothy's we just gave you, because you don't want to be diligent in that, you're under tribute. You're back in the bondage of Egypt. And you are not saved in this life, and you're probably not saved in the next life. Now, you can still be in the bondage of Egypt and be saved in the next life, but you have to repent. Turn around. Go the other way. And you have to strive in that way. And the only way to do that is to love your neighbor as yourself. You have to come together with your neighbor and start being the benefactors who do not exercise authority one over the other. And then you will start being the government of God. And you'll do that because you'll start becoming the government of the people, by the people, and for the people, instead of the government of the sugar daddy in Rome, or Washington, D.C., or in London, or wherever your sugar daddy is from. Because you're not going to pray, apply, beseech a sugar daddy who exercises authority one over the other. Because Jesus said you are not to look to the fathers of the earth, the sugar daddies of the earth, but to his Father in heaven. That's where you're supposed to be praying. And how does he answer his prayers? Through the faithful. Who are the faithful? Those who look to him, who do not look for the welfare of kings. Do not sit down with great appetite and eat at the table of kings who exercise authority one over the other. It doesn't make him not a king because you call him prime minister. It doesn't make him not a king because you call him senator or congressman. And it doesn't make him not a god if you call him a judge. And it doesn't make it not a covenant when you call it a social contract. You see, you, you aren't going in the ways of Christ. You don't believe in the ways of Christ because you haven't even heard what they are. You've heard the doctrines of men who worship the Bible instead of the truth that is written in it. You, how many people can read the Bible and come to different conclusions? How many scholars can read the Bible and come to different conclusions? Why? Because the truth is not written on their hearts and their minds by Christ, by the Holy Spirit, by our Father who art in heaven. They approach the Bible with vanity. They think they already know. They don't approach it with humility. They believe they already got it. And so therefore their sin remaineth. And they keep coveting their neighbor's goods. 
You know, in Romans 13, 9, when he says, Thou shalt not covet, he says, uh, or any, uh, if there be any commandment, is briefly comprehended in namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Do you do that? Well, when we return to Keys of the Kingdom, we're going to talk about maybe some choice. Maybe we'll talk about some of the uh, conflicts that have been going on on the Living Network lately. Because in exploring that, we may gain a greater understanding of the gospel of the kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to continue to talk about the right to choose, which is something that we were endowed with by God. And we need to understand and comprehend and uh, what we want to talk about probably more than anything is this idea of choice. And uh, I wrote an article a number of uh, years ago about the right to choose. And it, well, I wrote it after I read William Norman Griggs's article uh, on conscription and communism. And uh, a number of ideas came to my mind when I was reading it. And uh, I noticed that in the article he quotes Woodrow Wilson as saying, The nation needs all men but it needs each man not in the field that will most pleasure him, but in the endeavor that will best serve the common good. To this end, Congress has provided that the nation shall be organized for war by selection, that each man shall be classified for service in the place to which it shall best serve the general good to call him. Uh, Wilson goes on to state, It is a new thing in our history and a landmark in our progress. Yeah, in our progressivism, sure. They are moving and have been moving for some time in the direction of progressivism, in the, the direction of false... Um, faith in government instead of God. And we should repent of that. But most people are not going to. They are going to regulate and control every aspect of your life. That is what the governments of the world want to do. And you don't have any say-so in the matter that amounts to a hill of beans because you've already gone and sat and ate with a ruler who exercises authority one over the other. You went and got public education, public health, uh, protection from fires, protection from criminals, all supported out of taxes that are imposed by men who exercise authority. You are not citizens of your local states. You are not free inhabitants of the land. You are citizens of the United States. And you will defend your right to subjugate yourself under that authority with your very life, whether you want to or not. You don't have the right to do what Americans did back in 1776 because you haven't been doing what Americans were doing back in 1676. They were taking care of one another. They were being a government of self-government of self-responsibility. You weren't doing that. 
You weren't operating in that fashion. You were operating in a completely different fashion that was contrary to the ways of Christ. And you should be ashamed of that fact. And there's... Most of you will not be because you think you're saved. Because you think you're righteous. The Pharisees thought they were righteous. They were not righteous. They were not going in the ways of Christ. They were not doing the things that Christ said to do. They were not doing the things that Moses said to do. They were not saved because they had some lineage. That they were a part of some race of people, whether they were or not. That doesn't save you. It's where your heart is at. Because the kingdom of heaven is within you, it's where your heart is at. And is your heart in conformance with Christ? Or is your heart in conformance with the Pharisees? Or is it in conformance with Nimrod? Is it in conformance with the evil Pharaoh? That's, that's what we must find out. Where is your heart at? And the way we find that out is, what are you doing? What are you up to? Because <laughs> Christ didn't take away the kingdom from the Pharisees because of their bloodline. He took away because they were not bearing fruit. Because they were not doing what Moses said. And he was going to tell you to do what Moses said, which was to love your neighbor as yourself. No one is saved because they sit in a particular pew or in a particular church or they join a particular group. Salvation is a matter of letting Christ live in you. And if Christ was living in you, you would not be doing, you would not be doing these other things. You would not be doing contrary to Christ. And the ways of Christ. So, you have to take some uh, responsibility for what you've become. And stop leaning on the imagined laurels of forefathers who died 200 years ago. Stop pretending that Christ has accepted you and saved you as if he died for you and you don't even want to forgive your neighbor. He said that you would, if you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. So there's a condition there. People thought Christ has his unconditional love. Why is he giving us conditions then? Why is he talking about conditions? Not, you know... Christ does have unconditional love, but you don't have unconditional salvation. He died that ye might be saved. That's what it says, might be saved. He, I don't know that you're under one of those groups that we call saved. Just because you said you had this emotional experience back in 1962 doesn't mean that you're saved. There's there's clear guidelines that Christ lays down, that Paul lays down. If you're coveting your neighbor's goods, if you're murdering, if you're hiring people to murder for you, then I would guess Christ is not living in you. And you need to repent. Now, repenting really helps. 
turning around really helps, but it's not a guarantee either. You have to continue in the way. You have to continue in that way. It doesn't mean that you won't slip and fall and stumble and you won't that you walk and do everything perfectly. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about direction. And that's where Christ starts his gospel. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we would not be getting the results that we're getting today in the world if we were really being righteous. If everybody who said they were Christians were really Christians, this would be a different planet. This would be a different world. But it's not. We have people who want to force their neighbor to pay in for their benefit. They want to uh, take the sons and daughters of their neighbors for their security. They want to take the first fruits of your labor so that they will not have want. The citizenry of the world are little Saul's. They are little kings. And they all go under one authority. You know, that was one of the things that Lord of the Rings, most people miss it. You know, they talk about one ring uh, rules them all. It makes nine rings, and each ring is a ring of power. It gives a little power to nine kings. And those kings rule over others. Because they have that little power. But one ring rules them all. This is what is gone on in the world today. Whether you're in England or Canada or United States or Australia or uh, any of the South American countries, Brazil. It's the same way. They give each of you a little power to rule over your neighbor. Vote in the school bill. Vote in the health care. Vote in this. And, and because you vote, whether you win or lose... You're, you don't have a right to complain. People say, oh, if you don't vote, you don't have a right to complain. If you do vote, you don't have a right to complain. Because you bet. I mean, it's like the guy who complains, I never win the lottery. I pay in every week and I never win the lottery. Well, you don't have any right to complain. <laughs> you are betting against your neighbor. I hope I win the lottery and all my neighbors lose their whatever. I don't know what you pay for a lottery ticket, a buck. You buy a lottery ticket for a buck. So a million people go out and buy a lottery ticket and you're sitting there praying they all lose a buck. <laughs> because you covet your neighbor's goods. You think that kind of activity does not have effect in the spiritual realm of life? You are setting the current of your existence when you sit around coveting your neighbor's goods by praying that he loses his buck and you get everybody's buck. You play the lottery, you're opposing Christ. You are coveting your neighbor's goods. And today, voting in every country that has voting, every Demo that's why they want everybody to be democratic countries. They want you all playing the voting lottery. I hope my candidate wins and then he gets to tell you what you have to do. 
No, I hope my candidate wins, and then he will tell you what you have to do. Now, I know I'm making it a little simplistic. There were a couple of candidates out there in the past history that actually didn't want to tell anybody what to do. You know, like Calvin Coolidge and Ron Paul and those guys. But the fact is, it's still the same game. And you actually imagine you got a chance to win. You know, I always tell people, I said, if Ron Paul had won, he'd be dead already. <laughs> they wouldn't have let him stay in office. There's billions and billions and billions of dollars at stake. Let's, let's take a look at history. Let's take a look at reality. You're not going to find your salvation in political schemes. I am apolitical. I am not interested. You go vote all you want. I'm talking about principles and precepts. I am not a lobbyist for the United States government. I have no business telling you what to do in the United States government. I'm talking about what Christ said. And I'm using modern examples and relating them to the time of Jesus Christ. You can see that you're not on the Christian side of the equation just because you call yourself a Christian. You're more like the Pharisees who setting up systems of Corbin that make the word of God to none effect. To take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society by giving power to men who call themselves benefactors to force the contributions of the people instead of being diligent in loving thy neighbor as thyself. All you people who want to give to charity, stop feeding drug addicts. <laughs> stop feeding them. They go down there and they get food and shelter and then they go get their check and then they go out and they're druggies for 20 days until they run out of money and then they go back to the shelter and you feed them and they're in this endless cycle and if they, the only reason they go there is they haven't been able to steal enough to pay for the next drugs you want to start helping the homeless and the fatherless start helping those people who don't want to be a part of a system that covets their neighbor's goods. They only want to live by faith, open charity. They want to congregate together and actually take care of the real needs of one another because those who do not work should not eat and you should not pretend that that is charity by prolonging their agony in destitution of the soul and of the flesh. Sounds mean? It's called tough love. Those who will not work should not eat, and you feeding them is not charity. You are weakening the poor. Now, I'm not saying don't give to any food kitchens or anything, because there might be some out there that are actually strengthening the poor. But don't be giving this blind charity. Start looking out amongst yourselves and find men you trust who will do the real work of Christ and start doing that for a change. And start changing one soul at a time, starting with your own. This is the ways of Christ. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Start cleaning your house. 
start looking at the gospel as if it was a real solution in a real time because it's time for the gospel today. This journalist Joel Tyler Hadley stated concerning the uh, efficacy of the draft, we do not believe that uh, there is a sounder principle or one that every unbiased mind does not concede with readiness that it does an axiom that it, if necessary, to protect and save itself, a government may not only order a draft, but call out every able-bodied man in the nation. If this right does not inerr in our government, it is built on the foundation of sand, and sooner it is abandoned, the better. He was all for the draft. He wanted the draft. He thinks that that is what builds your government on the rock. But he doesn't realize... He thinks that the government is those guys over there. The government was supposed to be the people. How do you form a free government by forcing your neighbor to comply? What was the the commandments in Samuel that we were warned about? I write about it in the article, Voice of the People. The people democratically desired to elect a commander-in-chief to fight their battles for them. And Saul warned them that he would take their sons and daughters. This was a warning. This was, God was telling you, this is how you will be cursed. He will be able to take your sons and daughters. If you reject me and elect a man who can exercise authority one over the other, if you centralize your right to choose in one man to force your neighbor to do what that man evidently thinks is right that he will come and take your sons and daughters and he will put your sons in harm's way and he will take and take and take and take and take and he will make his instruments of war and there will come a day when you will cry out and I'm not going to hear you because you're not listening to me from the beginning And that's exactly what you've done. You haven't listened to God from the beginning. It should be noted that uh, the word king is in the scripture very generally used to denote one invested with the authority, whether extensive or limited. I'm quoting here from... um, Easton's Bible Dictionary. And that's what a king is. He has authority. And it doesn't matter if it's limited. And so if you elect a prime minister or president or whatever you want to call him, he's still the king. If he can draft your sons and daughters, take your sons and daughters, take the first fruits of your labor, he's exactly what God was warning you against in Samuel. Samuel 8, if you want to look it up. What Moses and Samuel was trying to do and what Christ was trying to do is teach you how to live as a free people. What Paul was trying to do is teach you how to be a people who govern themselves. 
not a people who elect a central authority to rule over you. Now you've done that. Now you are in the unrighteous mammon. Now you have been made merchandise because you have coveted your neighbor's goods and what should have been for your welfare has become a snare. All of which Paul tells you, Peter tells you, the Gospels tell you, Moses tells you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about that? How are you going to deal with that? If you go read Luke 22, 25 through 26, you know that you are not to be like those governments of the Gentiles. Christ is saying that. That is His doctrine. Yet there you are. You're like that. You're exactly what He said not to be. And yet you tell me you believe in Him. You haven't heard Him yet. You're under a strong delusion. You have been deceived. So what's the solution? Repent. Turn around. Do something different. So what do you do different? If you're not going to go to men who exercise authority one over the other in order to supply you with the benefits of a free society, which is not really free because he is exercising authority, but supply you with the benefits that would be the benefits of a free society if you were actually doing what Christ said. So, I mean, where where are we going with this? You should be gathering together and your churches should be the benefactors who don't exercise authority one over the other because people do need help from time to time. And those are the people that you should be taking care of. The people that are... How many people are not taking the mark of the beast now. People say, oh, well, the mark of the beast is coming. No, it's here now. You got it. The mark of the beast is the antithesis of the mark of God. What is the mark of God? It's the top. It's faith. Live by faith. Live by hope. Live by charity. Cast your bread upon the waters and hope it might come back to you. Not pay into an entitlement program where you send out men with guns to collect money for you so that you can be socially secure. That is, that is the mark of God, to live by faith. But you're not living by faith. You want to live by entitlements. You want to guarantee and you want to guarantee at your neighbor's expense. And you don't care if it's the rich or the poor or whoever. You just want to make sure that you get your benefits guaranteed. And in order to do that, you elect men who will exercise authority one over the other. And so you are exactly what Christ said not to be. And so you don't believe him. Because you're not doing what he said. And that is the evidence that you don't believe him. Now, if you are not willing to hear this simple little truth, then you're not willing to repent and turn around and go the other way. And so, therefore, you are not saved. If you are not willing to give up those benefits, and I'm not saying go cold turkey right now, but strive for the day that you could give them up. By coming together, striving, being diligent to show thyself approved. If you're not willing to do that, that is evidence to me that you don't really believe in Jesus Christ. If you want to cling to your philosophies and ideologies and theologies and eschatologies and all the other ologies that you can come up with, go see if it floats your boat. Because I think it's going to suck you down. And I don't think God's going to hear you because you're not hearing Him. It's really simple. The Gospel is really simple. 
Forgive so that you may be forgiven. Give so that you may be given to. Depend on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. Otherwise, you will not be under liberty. You will be under tribute. You will not be in the government of God. You will be in the government of the wicked. You will not be able to say there is another king, one Jesus. And you will not be able to do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. And so when he says, oh, you got to give your money, your your children, your guns, whatever it is he wants you to give, you got to give it because he's your daddy. Are, are we repeating the same thing over and over again? It's a simple gospel. We're going to repeat things over and over again. <laughs> Get used to it. Well, we can come at it from a hundred different ways. It's not that complicated. It's the same thing over and over again. Oh, we don't have any hierarchy in the kingdom of God. Well, then why does he say he used to be greatest among you is to be servant to all? It's the criteria of the hierarchy. They don't exercise authority. They don't rule. You think hierarchies rule? Well, the ones you have now do, but the ones that operate through Christ don't. They let you rule in your heart, but you don't get to do that if you're not governing yourselves according to the ways of Christ. So repent. And we'll talk more about this next time on Keys of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Uh, maybe we'll. Maybe I'll be a little easier on you. We were talking in the last show about this idea of choice. And one of the things that God gave us is the right to choose. From the very beginning, we see God giving us the right to choose in the garden. You've got a tree here, and he says this one is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's a tree where if you eat of this personal knowledge of good and evil you can decide what is right and wrong for yourself. But I, but God's telling us not to choose that. But He's putting it there because He's allowing us the right to choose. If we choose that, 
we choose death. And, but he's giving us that right to choose. And this is a kind of a mysterious thing. I'm not saying he's giving you the license to choose wrongly. If you choose wrongly, you will suffer accordingly. It is built into the system. It is automatic. You will not be able to walk with God and choose for yourself what is right and wrong. Now, he gives you another choice, a tree of life. And when you really understand the Hebrew word when they talk about tree, tree was an instrument by which you could make things. It was it was one of the major building blocks of everything. And when they said the tree, they weren't just talking about a tree that grows up with green leaves. They were talking about a source. This is why they were talking about cutting wood on the Sabbath. They're, they're talking about this source concept. And, and we can get into that another time. We have an article up on the Sabbath so you can understand what they're really talking about. And I probably should add to it so that you can understand what cutting wood is really about. <laughs> but uh, uh, I may have. I don't know. There's an awful lot on our website that you can look at and read and study. I got a call from a doctor in the South, uh, Mid-South, uh, uh, last night and uh, he'd been reading the books and uh, finding them fascinating and uh, was interested in asking a few questions and he was surprised that I answered the phone when he called well we have a unique ring when you call the church number and they know it's it's somebody for the church so I'm the one who answers we have a number of phones in here that will answer and different people have can call on those. And we give out other numbers to people that we learn to trust. But still, we spend an awful lot of time. What we need is those that will actually do what First Timothy says in being diligent. Study, sure, fine. That's part of diligence. But it's talking about doing. Christ talked about doing over and over and over and over again. But a false religion has come up and said, oh, you don't have to do anything. You just have to believe. And then they forget to tell you what believing looks like. How do you know you believe? Well, I said I believe. That's not, that doesn't show. Christ came and took the kingdom away from people who said they believed. Because they didn't know what believing really meant. I mean, all the... Uh, the Pharisees believed. They, I mean, they were willing to die for their beliefs. Now, all kinds of people are going to come to Christ and say, I believe. And I do. And he says, get you from me, you workers of iniquity. Because what they do is contrary to what Christ was saying. And so all our website at hisholychurch.org is just trying to show you what Christ was saying. And it's well researched out. I had somebody the other day went to the website and they uh, looked at it. Because I posted a link on their Facebook page uh, because they said something. They actually quoted Timothy. And they come back and I, I spent a lot of time looking on your website and I disagree. Uh, and he, he goes on to say that uh, just because people have a concordance, uh, you know, Greek and, and Hebrew concordance doesn't mean they're an expert. And so I don't want you to post anything uh, on my web page in response to things that I say um, because I don't even let Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses post there. I'm not reading it verbatim, but th those are references that he made. He never made a single reference to what he disagreed with. 
It was just one ad hominem after another. A common thing. We we get that all the time. They, I mean, I've written heads of seminaries and mentioned them in books that I've written. And, you know, so I give them a copy of the book so that they can see that I quoted them. <laughs> and, and they don't come back with a single argument against anything I said. Not a single argument against anything I said. Even the probably the people in the chat room are not dealing with what I actually said. They're making ad hominem accusations. They're not dealing with facts. You know, I mean, anybody can win an argument when they're the only one there. And when they don't mention any facts, they're really safe, you know. It's kind of like uh, winning the war with your Nintendo. <laughs> There's no real bullets involved. No real facts or information involved. And so they they quickly jump to uh, trite little religious uh, sayings like, "What what do you believe you must do to be saved?" You know, and I'm supposed to recite back some quote out of context that Paul made. You know, like I said, I don't I I preach the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Personally, I believe Paul taught the doctrines of Jesus Christ. But if you take what Paul said out of the context of what Christ said, you could invent an entire new religion, and people do it all the time. And if you, but you also, at the same time, you have to take Paul out of the context of Paul, what he was doing, what the other things he was saying. Oh, they say he's done away with the law, but yet he's telling you to not commit adultery and not kill, not covet. And to stay away from people who do. Why? Because they're not saved. Because they're not doing what Christ said. So, what? What did Christ say to do? He said, keep the law. He's not talking the statutes of Moses or the interpretation of the statutes of Moses by the Pharisees who got it wrong. Because the statutes of Moses are not the law. They are his attempt to describe to you with finite language what the Ten Commandments were really trying to tell you. He wasn't adding to the Ten Commandments. He was explaining that if you eat foods that will decimate your body with parasites and poisons, you are adulterating your body. You are committing adultery. <laughs> All adultery is not sexual. Anytime you are ruining your health, which was given to you by God, you're adulterating your health, whether it's your marriage or whether it's your life itself. If you wives are feeding your husbands terrible poisonous foods, you're adulterating your husband. The same as if you went out and had relations with somebody with STD and then come back home. You would be adulterating your husband or, or husbands, you the same. If you go out and buy poisonous foods to feed your family, you're adulterating your family. If you're out there producing poisonous foods for the people round about you, you're adulterating society. That's national adultery. 
What, what are poisonous foods? GMOs are poisonous foods. GMOs causes sterility, uh, causes a terrible um, indigestion problems with amongst many people. It's going to stimulate the amount of asthma and allergies in the world today. They're poison. And if you're producing them, you're not doing a Christian thing. And you say, oh, well, wait a minute, there's some benefits. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's still poison. Vaccines, poison. Most, va I mean, vaccines by design are poison. That's how they make them. They put poison in them. <laughs> They put mercury in them. They put um, other agents in them. They used to not be allowed to put in uh, uh, the shark cartilage agent. Uh, I, I'm, I can't can't think of the name. It's Squantum or something like that. And uh, but now they they've done it for all the military, and military's come down with Gulf War syndrome, which is part of that. Uh, it's a combination of things. But these are poisons. They're adulterating each other. Poisoning each other. And you're not to kill and harm each other. Yet you do that. Because you're not keeping the commandments. And they explain that you can actually harm your neighbor with no overt act. For instance, you dig a pit along a trail. Where somebody might fall into it and you don't put a barrier so that to prevent them from falling into that pit. You can be held responsible if they get injured. If you build a balcony and invite everybody up onto the balcony and they fall off. And you didn't have a railing to prevent them because it was likely, you know, when they crowded up there, it was likely that they might fall off. If you build a substandard building that collapses... You can be held for murder if you were negligent in the, in building that building. If you didn't take reasonable precautions. This is what Moses is trying to tell you. If you think, that, oh, well, if I follow all these statutes just right, then, which is what the Pharisees were trying to tell you, then God will bless me. And, and you follow them with uh, some kind of a religious mumbo-jumbo ritual. You know, uh, I have newt, two pinches of it. You know, I used, we had have two witches living next to us, and they were raising a newt in a uh, terrarium. And we were looking at it. One of my daughters saw it one day, and she looked at it. it was missing an eye. <laughs> we thought, like, oh, that went in a recipe somewhere. <laughs> and that's what they do: a recipe for salvation. So we have that that extreme of the guys that think if we follow all these regulations and everything and we memorize them all and we take the steps and put our right shoe on and then our left shoe on and then tie our right shoe and then tie, that's how bad it gets. That I'll be saved. And God will bless me. No. No, he won't. He'll say, get you from me, you workers of iniquity. You should have been attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And then you have the other extreme where you don't have to do anything. It is believe. And we don't want to get into anything that might define that belief. If you're going to believe in Jesus, you ought to be doing what he said. And you don't. So anyway, we're repeating ourselves. Let's go on and take a look at some other things. Um, 
I'm uh, I've got this article that I probably should redo and then post with newsofviews.com, uh, and it's this idea of the right to choose, and the right to choose was given to us by God, and it was eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and or eating of the tree of life. And if you choose one, a bad choice. If you choose the other, good choice. And if you choose the good choice, good things happen. If you choose the bad choice, he won't hear you and bad things will happen. And that's the way it works. And you still have that choice. You still have that choice to choose life or choose death. Some people said, are you pro-choice? Absolutely, I'm (laughs) pro-choice. Not in the way they mean it. I want you to choose life. If you choose death, sorry, eh, you lose. And so you have to choose life. So what does that look like to choose life? Well, you have to be like Christ. You have to be like the Father. You were made in the image of Father. Are you a giver of life? Or are you a blood-sucking leech? Are you selfish? Are you lazy? Are you diligent? Are you hardworking? Do you seek justice in all things? I'm not asking you to be loyal to His Holy Church. I'm asking you to be loyal to righteousness. He didn't say, Seek ye first His Holy Church. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. So what does that look like? We need to know what that looks like to find out if we really believe in that. It is the besetting vice of democracy to substitute public opinion for law. This is the usual form in which the masses of men exhibit their tyranny. And we talked about that in the last show. That was James Fenimore Cooper. Um, Which is, you know, I don't know, he wrote Hawkeye and all these other uh, books, which are really entertaining uh, books for your kids to read. Uh, I think they uh, last of the Mohicans a little slow, but uh, some of the others were really good, and I I recommend them. Oh, actually, we sh- we've on our preparingyou.com we've started a book review uh, section and even a video review uh, section for homeschoolers so that they can take a look at uh, different. Uh, movies and books that are really handy tools for teaching your children certain moral um, applications if you examine it because they they deal with issues and a lot of people like the Jane Ayers uh, and uh, uh, some of those books um, that uh, Sense and Sensibility and these things that will if you sit down and watch them with your kids, you can start explaining and, and learn from them yourself some of these things. And we encourage that. Uh, not that we want you to have TV, but if you're going to have TV, might as well watch something that's you can learn from. <laughs> because it's an example. Movies and TV are just ways of telling the story. They can be very mesmerizing, but if they're done with adult supervision, they can be great learning tools. But anyway, uh, the king of God is not a democracy. And But the kingdom of hell is a democracy with an overruling power of Satan himself. But the way you get into hell is that you want to do things like exercise authority over your neighbor, rule over your neighbor. You have to become a little demonic yourself. You have to want to uh, take power over your brother. 
And this is what we see with Cain taking power over his brother to the point where he eventually just clubs him in the head. He plowed the Adama and, and forced it into rows. And this is the way that Cain has always worked. And what mostly you see as government today is based on the principles of Cain, which is why you end up with most of the governments of the world being more in line with Nimrod than with Christ. And all those people that are in there trying to straighten out Nimrod's government and elect the Nimrod of their choice have got a serious problem because they've, they've made a wrong choice way back. At the beginning, they, they've gone down a path that is away from the kingdom of God. And they're trying to make hell look like God. You know, I mean, it's like somebody getting to hell and saying, you know, we could do a lot with this if we redecorate. <laughs> so It's not going to change it. It's still hell. The principles are still hell. It's about direction. Which way you're going? Repenting is about direction. Democracy, democracies give every man the right to be his own oppressor. And the way that works is you decide you want to oppress your neighbor and you yourself are oppressed in that proposal. You know, I, I talk in, in this article about these proposals that are laid down in this original ar article and, and the error in them. And that's part of that studying. And the second proposal of D.V. the kid put forward is to get the states to adopt one of Dr. Edwin Vieira's money bills. Again, can anyone imagine that this is ever going to actually happen? Is the question I ask. Is it even possible to legislate such concepts no matter how sensible they are. Who are we to compel such wisdom on a people who want to be deluded in a lie? We personally have the right to implement wisdom in our own life, but not to compel it in the lives of others. Christ said, Seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness, not force the kingdom on others. So, that proposal may be a great idea, but it's not going to happen. Because most of the people, the majority of the people, want to go the other way. Now, after there's this huge die-off that's likely to come about with the destruction of the entire system, <laughs> we might be able to do that, but then we don't need to do that because people are already doing what's right. It's kind of like, you know, uh, democracies only work in heaven where they don't need it. They don't need to implement such things because they're already written in their hearts and their minds. In the third proposal, and I, I love D.V. Kidd. She's she's an outspoken woman. Uh, so I'm not saying quoting any of these. I haven't even read the article lately, but I'm just looking at my article on the right to choose and trying to expound upon it. But uh, D.V. also suggests that we change public opinion about the income tax through education. I believe that this is impossible to any great degree because most people defer or prefer the benefits 
of Nimrod over the responsibilities of Christianity within the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is an alternative to the government of men which exercise authority and compel the compliance through a membership that makes you entitled but gives a corresponding entitlement to the leaders of the government over the people. In other words, the, they, the government of the people now becomes men who exercise authority. They now hand out the benefits from house to house, but they collect them from house to house too by force. The early church collected from house to house, but they did it by free will offerings. Moses collected from house to house, but he did it by free will offerings. By collecting the people together in congregations of their choice, according to the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And this is simply a network of people that actually want to start doing some of the things that D.B. is talking about in their own lives and with the lives of others who want to do them also. And this creates bonds of love between you because you're there for each other. And that's what we're missing. We have we have been weakened as a nation because we're not actually striving together with the ways of Christ written on our hearts and our minds. We're following vain philosophies and ideologies. Have we followed Christ's gospel or have we done like those Israelites of old? Have we done according to their works after they were taken out of Egypt and again returned to the bondage of Egypt? Yes, we have returned to the bondage of Egypt. And you can't just undo that with a wave of your hand. You've got to change your ways and become the government of God. Forgiving the wicked, but doing righteousness. The Universal National Service Act, introduced by Senator Ernest F. Hollings uh, from South Carolina, wishes to make a two-year period of military or civilian service mandatory for all American citizens, both male and female, between the ages of 18 and 26. Both your sons and daughters will not have a choice as uh, to what they're going to do all day. They will, the, the father which you have chosen will be entitled to take your sons and daughters and put them to his work. And this is what they're contemplating. Will it pass? Well, I think eventually it will pass. Because the people, you know, if they're told this is the only way they're going to get their benefits, it will eventually pass or some form of it. All you have to do is get people frightened enough, and that's not very hard these days. In Second Thessalonians, it says, "And for this cause shall, uh, for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned." who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's where we're at, folks. That delusion's not coming. It's here. We already believe we have a right to force our neighbor to serve our desires. And we elect men to make sure they do that. 
And that is absolutely contrary to what Christ says. You are now bound in the unrighteous mammon because what should have been for your welfare was really a snare. You've applied for the benefits. You've signed up all three levels. If you read our article called The Man on Earth Father, there's a principle of law that stems back to Rome, back to Babylon itself, whereby you can become subjects, bound, become literally merchandise, human resources. And you've done all three, and you've done them for over a century now almost. Actually, this year. <laughs> it will be a century um, since the, the the programs really got going. I mean, there were different moments in time where they added on to them, you know, the, the Federal Birth Registration Act and all these things. These are and and these are just products of the fact that you haven't really had God's ways written on your heart and your mind. You may, I'm not condemning you. I'm trying to show you what does condemn you because that's what they're saying in Thessalonians. That this delusion will come that you might be damned. I, I don't want you to be damned and I don't want to accuse you, but I, I also want you to wake up. The advocates of liberty believes that it is complementary of the orderly laws of cause and effect, of probability and of chance, of which man is not completely informed. It is complementary of them because it rests in part upon the faith that each individual is endowed by his Creator with the power of individual choice. Now, I'm just reading uh, Wendell Brown here, who is explaining some of this stuff um, from his point of view. And I, I like to read other uh, individuals who talk about these things so that you get an idea. God give, gave man the freedom of choice. Men make governments that take that choice that men used to have and choose for men. Man is a being capable of subduing his emotions and impulses. He can rationalize his behavior. He arranges his wishes into a scale. He chooses. In short, he acts. What distinguishes man from beasts is precisely that he adjusts his behavior deliberately. The fact is, you cannot adjust your behavior rightly unless Christ lives in you. And Christ will not live in you unless you submit to the will of the Father. And it is not the will of the Father that you should rule over your brother in a democracy or any other form of government. I'm not saying that you get to, your brother gets to do anything he wants. He cannot violate the rights of other brothers. But in a democracy... Everybody violates the right of their brothers because it is predicated on the idea that you get to rule over your brother. You get to plow him, force him into alignment. We've gone so far away from this simple principle that is it's going to be, our whole world has to be turned over in order to turn around and head back. 
And that's what we're going to be looking at in the second part of the show is we're going to be looking at some of these things that we can do to turn around and go back. And we have to study diligently and then act diligently in order to find our way back to the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to continue to talk about the right to choose, which is uh, something that we were endowed with by God. And uh, we need to understand and comprehend. I was just looking at some... uh, I have other radio programs today. I was looking at the emails that were coming in, and I see that some of them are going to be getting into very dangerous topics. (laughs) So, But we're going to finish... Uh, the topic here today on this show and uh, try to look at some of these uh, things that we seem to lose track of that are so simple in the gospel of the kingdom. And I relate it to history and uh, government because government is a big part of everybody's life. But I, I'm only interested in one government and that is the government of God. And the church is defined as one form of government. So that's the form of government that I have to promote, is the form of government that is the church. We don't exercise authority one over the other, but we also do not go under the authority of others. That we are under the authority of Christ, because Christ is what established the church. And we don't need anybody else establishing the church. And if you do go to somebody else to establish your church, all other previous incorporation as a church corpus as a church, body of Christ as a church, is null and void, according to the law. I'm not making it up. People say we're not under the law. You're under millions of laws. But you're under those laws because you had made covenants with men. And most of those covenants were made either because you lack knowledge or you desired benefits. If you desired benefits, stop desiring those benefits at the expense of your neighbor. If you did it because you lack knowledge, study to show thyself approved. Diligently study to show thyself approved and apply what you learn. And what you're learning here is that you should be the government of God and not the government of men who exercise authority one over the other, but you're the government of God that operates by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, which is... which is... Love. Do you really love your neighbor as yourself? Do you really love God the Father with your whole heart, mind, and soul? Are you really taking care of one another? Or are you just running out and trying to be free? Which is a topic that we were covering in in some of the discussions this week on the Living Network. So many men say, oh, I'm free, I'm separate, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an ambassador to the kingdom of God. But they're not doing what the early apostles were doing. They're either, you know, forming their own little private congregation where people are supposed to tithe to them, or they're out there uh, just running around saying, I'm free, I'm free. That's not what Moses did. That's not what Christ did. They actually said, pay Caesar what you owe him. Start gleaning in the field at night for your benefits. Start taking care of one another. 
and faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. Start learning the skills, the art of liberty according to the ways of Christ. Strive to do this. Sacrifice so that ye may have life more abundant. Here's a quote. Our, our founding fathers believed that we live in an ordered universe. They believed themselves to be a part of the universal order of things. Stated another way, they believed in God. They believed that every man must find his own place in a world where a place has been made for him. They sought independence for their nation. But more importantly, they sought freedom for individuals to think and act for themselves. They established a republic dedicated to one purpose above all others, the preservation of individual liberty. You cannot retain that liberty unless you exercise your responsibilities. If you turn the exercise of your responsibilities over to a central authority, whether it be a county, a state, or a federal government, you will not remain at liberty. That simple. Not complicated. Very simple. Very should be very easy to understand and comprehend. If you do not, you have a problem. It goes on to say here in another quote, and I'm not giving you, this is all in the article, so you can go read the article. Uh, I think it was Liberty of Choice. I forgot what, what I even called it, but Choice. Uh, it's in, in, under a news section at hisholychurch.org. We have the gift of an inner liberty so far reaching that we can choose either to accept or reject the God who gave it to us. He lets you do that. Not without consequences. But He will let you do that. Most of you won't even let your neighbors make a choice. God will let you make a choice as to accept God or reject God. He lets you do that. Because He knows without that choice there is no love. We have people going around saying, Oh, you don't choose anything. God chooses you and that's it. Well, they don't understand. And they're listening to a guy who killed his opposition. <laughs> That's where they get that philosophy. For a guy who went out and actually had the, his opposition murdered, <laughs> planned the murder. And, uh, you know, that's I won't get into who that is. I'll let you figure that out. You probably don't even know a lot of the people who have those ideas. God has given you a choice. It's not a choice like most people think. The choice that they make from day to day in their minds and stuff like that. Most of those choices are a product of the choice that you already made. You have really only one choice. God, the tree of life, or not. If you don't choose God and the tree of life and the ways of God and all that, which is all on one side of the choice, you can't have the tree of life unless you accept God. That's <laughs> your God. It's just that you don't, you don't get that. If you accept God as your God, the real God, not your imaginary creation of God, but the real God, then you get to eat of the tree of life. If you reject His ways and go another way, try to decide for yourself, no matter what you decide. I mean, you may decide some really good ideas. But if you're not eating of the tree of life and deciding of your own ideas, it's only a matter of time and your ideas will you'll be driven mad like Saul. 
you'll go nuts. And you'll do crazy, crazy things. We have the gift of an inner liberty so far reaching that we can choose either to accept or reject God who gave it to us. This inner choice. And it would seem to follow that the author of a liberty so radical wills that we should be equally free in our relationships with other men. Spiritually, liberty logically demands conditions of outer and social freedom for its completion. But there's a limitation there. And this guy does and I'm quoting somebody, so he's not 100% right. Because what happens, if you don't choose life, you will find yourself establishing governments like Cain, like Lamech, like Nimrod. And those governments will punish the wicked, which are those who did not choose the tree of life, but chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, so once you make that choice, other choices will become automatic. You will be caught up in a current that will draw you more and more to wickedness. The word sacrifice in Hebrew actually is co-relative to the word draw near. If you're willing to give up your life for the sake of others and for the righteousness of God, you will draw near the character of God and you will make different choices automatically. And if you do the other, you will make different choices automatically. And those choices will not be yours anymore. Unfortunately, people take this too far and say that you have no choice. You do have a choice, but it's not an intellectual one. It's a spiritual choice. In your spirit, when you choose to let in the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, it will come into you just like virtue flowed out of Christ through the hem of His garment into the woman and healed her. And you will be healed. Above all else, I see an inability to choose the better from the worse that has made possible life's progress. Now, unfortunately, you have an ability to choose the better back there in your spirit, but if you choose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and decide for yourself in vanity, your choices after that will be a roll of the dice. Someone else will control those choices, and it will not be you. You know, I go back and I can read Genesis 4.16 And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod in east of Eden. Why did he do that? So he can do his own thing. And we should not go that way. We should go back into the presence of God. In other words, if you accept the Spirit of God into your heart and into your mind, it will begin to renew your spirit and renew your soul and renew your flesh even. But you're not getting that because you've gone the wrong way. In Genesis 47:24, it said, And it shall come to pass in the increase that he shall give the fifth part to the Pharaoh. Four parts shall he be his own for seed of the field, etc. But the fifth part, and you know, you don't get to keep your seed anymore if you're raising GMOs. You don't get to keep your seed, you see. They're coming at you from every angle. Because you've made these choices. You don't even see the demonic nature coming in your society that will destroy your entire society. You don't even see it because you're under the strong delusion. Because you have not chosen to live from the tree of life in the ways of Christ. 
You've chosen to eat of the tree of knowledge. And you've tried to figure it out and create your own eschatology and theology and what have you. That has brought you farther and farther away from the kingdom of God. It's simple. It's not complicated. Do you love your neighbor? Are you gathering together to make that love real? Are you taking care of the needs of your society? Are you helping your neighbor so he does not have to lay his child on the altar of sacrifice by registering it with benefactors who exercise authority that will turn your child into a human resources to pay off a debt that will never be paid off until you know there's actually four ways you could pay that debt off. And, and the last is the destruction of the entire Sestuique Trust. And unfortunately, the other three are pretty much gone. So now we have really just about only one left alternative to go. Total destruction. Condemnation. And it's coming. But I don't want to scare you. But I do want you to wake up. Occasionally I have to go, Boo! <laughs> scare you a little bit so that you start out you know maybe I better pay attention here so what's the solution start gathering together and taking care of one another start tithing into a system and, and your tithe will not be pure because you are not pure it will come this is a question that came up with a local minister just this morning because he's worried about accepting gifts from somebody who doesn't have a pure intent and see, we're complicated. We're gray area people. We've got some good intent. We've got some bad intent. We've got some selfish intent. We have some giving intent. We have some of Christ in us, but we have some of evil. We're in this process, seeking the kingdom. That's The very nature of that explanation is a process. So, if somebody gives you and you are in doubt as to whether or not that gift was completely freely given, burn it up to you. Burn it up to you. In other words, give it away from you to someone else farther away from you where you gain no personal benefit from it and it's purified in the fire of your giving. This is a phrase you probably hear me say more and more. I said it this morning. I wrote it twice. Gifts that are given with impure intent are purified in the fire of your giving them away to somebody else. Pass it forward. And that's very important. You know, we've refused huge donations here because we could tell from the very beginning that they weren't righteous. They were done in the wrong sense. They were, they were conditional in a way that they should not have been. And we refused it. But sometimes it's hard to tell because they say, yeah, I intend to give this. And it sounds, and they don't even know. I mean, they're sincere to some point, but there's problems. They're they're still carrying some baggage, and that's the way it's going to be because we're not pure souls. But if one thing Christ came to tell us how to do is to give, and and we need to give not to the unrighteous, not to what Thessalonians calls those who do do not work. Not to those who want to live immoral lives but still want to be comforted. Stop giving to them and start gathering together into real congregations of people that are really seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And not their self-righteousness 
of clinging to an eschatology that is nothing more than idolatry. You know, that we invent these eschatologies and we hold them up. I mean, people make an idol of the Bible. The Bible contains the words written by men where truth lived in their hearts and their minds, but the people who translated it weren't necessarily having God in their hearts and their minds. But there's enough of it there that you should be able to see the truth if God is writing on your heart and your mind. That is the key. Jesus said that was the key. Divine revelation, not flesh and blood. Revealing. Anybody can read the Bible and misinterpret it. The greatest scholars in the world read it and misinterpret it all the time. And they, they are Hebrew and Greek experts and they still misinterpret it because Christ is not written in them. And Christ is wanting to write in you and wanting to write in me and he's changing us daily. And that's why I am so mean to you <laughs> and give you such a heart. I'm not going to tickle your ears. I'm going to say... If you're not doing it, you aren't a part of it. You're not a part of it because you think a thought. You're a part of it because you do a deed. Your deed will be imperfect. It will be inadequate. You will not be able to get all the way back to the ways of your father. But that's okay. If you start, he will run out and meet you and pick up your slack. That is the nature. And... You want him to pick up your slack more and more? Pick up the slack of your brother. Go out and dedicate your life to speaking the truth and living the truth and sacrificing to the truth of Christ's way. And he will come out farther and meet you. You cannot get into the kingdom by warming pews. You've got to become a doer of the word, not a hearer. Not a professor, Lord, Lord. Not a singer of songs. Unless that song be the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Who were doers of the word. Who sacrificed themselves. So that ye may have life more abundant. Are you doing the same for your brother? Are you actually in a congregation where you take 10% of everything you earn and give it to a minister so that he can work 24-7? Or at least 24-6. <laughs> We often have to work 24-7 because there's so many of you not working. You know, I get calls. Four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. I got calls late last night. And I will accept those calls. I was glad for the call last night. I was even glad for the call early in the morning. <laughs> but, because um, I'm just kind of a glad kind of guy. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm happy to do the work of Christ. But if you will not do the work of Christ, you will not receive the salvation of Christ. If you will not give, neither will you be given. You, if you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. But it's your choice. That's what I'm saying. It's your choice. In Deuteronomy 17:15, Thou shalt in any wise set him a king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among the brethren... He's, not, he's got to be one of you. Shalt thou set a king over thee? Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses. That means a standing army, a cavalry. Uh, doesn't mean he can't be a horse farmer. 
nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses, have a bigger standing army. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, he shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall ye multiply wives. What did they do? Every time they got a new wife, it was because they made a new treaty. No treaty making powers. Don't multiply wives either, but uh, don't make any treaties for you. He should not have the power to contract for you. That is his heart to uh, turn uh, not away. In other words, he can't do what God wants him to do because he's got this contract and you have to abide by his contracts, his treaties. Don't give your government treaty-making power. Now, if you start putting these commandments of God, what you need to write down, it says, And it shall be when he sitteth upon his throne of his kingdom, of his government, sitteth in the ruling place of his government, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and the Levites, who were the Supreme Court Justice, the high, high priests were the Supreme Court Justices of their government because they, it was the Levites who operated the Courts of Appeal, which is your cities of refuge. It wasn't everybody, when you were a criminal, you didn't run to another town and all the criminals lived at that town. What a place that would have been. You appealed to the civil authority of the Levites. And, and I shouldn't even use the word civil there, but the appeals courts, they could acquit. They couldn't make laws. They could acquit if they thought you had received an unjust trial locally. And that's how they ran their judicial system. The way you do it is you have someone who picks the gods of your government. And if you read God's Many on our website, you'll know what I'm talking about. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein that day. That's what he's saying. This written rule, this constitution, that you can't do the... Only one of these five things listed off in Deuteronomy 17 was included in the Constitution. The Constitution is terribly flawed and the writers of it warned you of that. But you haven't been studying that in your public schools for almost 100 years or at least 75 years. And so now you're, you've got a serious, 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 serious problem. The voice of the people have chosen a new Saul. You need to turn around. You know, Macon, H.L. Uh, Macon said, democracy is a form of worship. It is a worship of jackals by jackasses. <laughs> and, and, and I cannot disagree with that because the mere idea of being, you know, like I said, and I've said this many times before, if you read the definition of democracy in the military uh, handbook in 1927, democracy was a bad thing. By 1945, they redefined it to a good thing. Things changed. And you're going to suffer for those changes. Because democracy is the idea that the majority can take away the rights of the minority. Uh, he, he went on to also say that democracy is the art of running the circus from the monkey cage. And we're going to have a show on monkeys. Very interesting studies coming out concerning monkeys and man. And, and very disappointing when you start realizing that we are evolving. But it's not evolving, it's devolving. We're going back <laughs> to the monkey. <laughs> but we can learn some lessons from those primates. 
he also goes on to say that democracy is a pathetic belief in the collective wisdom of the individual ignorance. Uh, Macaulay said, I have long been convinced that institutions purely democratic must sooner or later destroy liberty or civilization or both. Because they, you know, Alexander Tyler, and I've used this quote before too, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the majority of the voters discover that they can vote themselves largesse out of the public treasury. And that's what's taking place. It goes on. Democracy, uh, Oscar Wilde, which I hate to quote him, but Oscar Wilde said democracy means simply the bludgeoning of the people by the people for the people. And that's exactly what's taking place. Even Alexander Hamilton said the ancient democracies in which the people themselves deliberated never possessed one good feature of government. Their very character was tyranny. Their uh, figure, deformity. And so, you know, we need to go back to true republics in pure religion. And that's what the church is meant to do. And if you're not doing that, you're not following Christ. Till we meet again, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.